The rebel forces had one goal in mind, and they were going to accomplish it by any means necessary. They wanted their independence. Before these American soldiers trying to earn their freedom, it was going to be an uphill battle. They were looking at waging war against the most powerful nation in the world, against the British Empire. And I'm realizing, as I'm saying this out loud, this is probably an insensitive story after the royal nuptials of this weekend. It seems a little harsh to rub their noses in such a great defeat after such a momentous occasion. But it really is an incredible and improbable thing that happened in those late 1700s. And there are a lot of factors that cause these American soldiers to be able to earn their independence from the king. Certainly great military minds, certainly the political power and people over on this side of things trying to keep the fires of insurgents burning, but also it can be partly attributed to a different style of fighting. And while most of the battles in the Revolutionary War were fought in the very traditional way where everyone would just line up across from each other and keep shooting until you could move forward, and it seems very horrifying, but there was also times when these militiamen, these common people, the ordinary people, the, the farmers and the people living in the villages would use their own weapons. And as the British forces were either moving forward or running away, they would be hiding behind rocks and trees and fighting in a more guerrilla style. And the British army learned a very important lesson, that often the most dangerous enemy is not the one that you can see but the one that you can't. And as we've been seeing the teachings of Christ through the book of Luke over the past several weeks, we've recognized that the kingdom of God has many different enemies. Some seen, but many that aren't seen. But one of the most detrimental enemies to the kingdom of God and in our lives as we seek to honor and glorify God in all we do is not an enemy that's simply unseen, but one that comes from within. And that's fear. Fear has the power to cripple us from doing what we're called to do, from being who we're called to be, from living lives that honor and glorify God, from going out and sharing the good news of the kingdom of God, from taking steps of faith and following Jesus everywhere he leads. Fear has the power to cripple us and stop us in our tracks from the inside out. And so this morning, we're going to look at the teachings of Jesus in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 12. As he reminds us that if we're in Christ, that if we've put our hope in him, that we are a part of a kingdom that drives out fear. Because as we saw last week, we have a king who is victorious not only over our enemies, but over death itself. And so there's nothing that can hinder us or slow us down or hold us back from the living the lives that God has called us to live. And so as we look through this passage today, we're going to see how our victorious king drives out fear in our lives. And so from Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 4, this is the word of God. It says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten by God. Why, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not. 
you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Father God, we do thank you as always for your word. And we also thank you for this kingdom without fear. And you know that life can be difficult, life can be scary, life can be overwhelming. And especially when we're trying to do things that honor and glorify you, it can be very overwhelming. But I just pray now that you remind us deep in our hearts that we serve a victorious king who has put all the rulers and authorities and powers of this world under his feet. And that we are more than conquerors in Christ. And so because of that and because of the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives, we have nothing to fear. So God, I pray that this morning we are just encouraged by your word that we're strengthened by your word and that you would send us out of here, not only loving you more than when we came in, but that you would send us out from this place ready to go and to do what you've called us to do as your children. So speak to us as we hear your word. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The very first thing in this passage as we look at how Jesus casts out fear is that we realize that fear is cast out by friendship. Fear is cast out by friendship. Sometimes it's not the big passages that can be most striking as we see Jesus teaching, but sometimes it's the passing words of Jesus that can strike hardest into the core. Sometimes, because we know how intentional Christ was with everything that he said, when we pay attention to the little bitty things that he says, we can see some deep and incredible and profound truth. And in verse 4 of chapter 12, sandwiched in between some really scathing warnings to the religious leaders of his time that we'll talk about in a couple weeks, and in between Jesus teaching us to not have fear and anxiety and be ready to, to give an account for all that he calls us to do, in between those two very large and very important things, we see two words that absolutely change everything. Because in verse 4, Jesus says, I tell you, my friends... Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that will have nothing more they can do. Jesus calls his audience gathered around him that day his friends. I think it's really important to understand the magnitude of that, because in any social structure, we just saw yesterday, or was it yesterday? I don't know. At some point this weekend, two very important, wealthy, powerful people got married, and I was not invited, and that seems rather rude, right? Because I should be friends with the royal people, I don't know their names, I'm sorry. So this, is, this analogy is going downhill fast because I know very little about the British government and royalty. But a big thing happened yesterday and none of us were invited, in fact. In fact, most of the people, because I did see some of the people that visited this wedding and were invited to this wedding, were very important people. Because the power structures of our world have always worked that way. There are people in power who very rarely are in relationship or even acknowledgement of the people beneath them. And during Jesus' time, this was certainly true. Kings didn't associate with common people. 
kings didn't have friendships with people that were poor and powerless. And yet now Jesus is going from village to village, from place to place, meeting with people who have very little, who have no political or social power at all, and Jesus is presenting himself as a king. But not just any king. This is the king that Paul would one day say that all things, in Colossians, Paul says all things were created in him and by him and for him. That Jesus isn't simply the king of kings, but he's the creator of heaven and earth, and he owns all things. All things are in subjection to him, and it's that king that is walking to people who have never had an audience with anyone in power before, and he looks them in their face, and he says, you are my friends. He stands by the poor and powerless and welcomes them into his life, not as a master and servants, but as a friend. Not looking down, but looking eye to eye and reaching out to them exactly where they are. They now recognize that they have a friend in the highest of places. And I can't imagine what a comfort that was for them, but sometimes I can forget what a comfort that should be to me. The fact that if anyone puts their faith in Christ, Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants because a servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but I call you my friends. That through our faith in Jesus, that we are friends, not simply of the king of kings, but of the king of the universe who created all things and holds everything in the palm of his hand. He loves us like friends. And that should bring a deep and a profound comfort to us. Growing up, I was very small, very small with a very large head, which is a recipe that you, you look like an actual punching bag when you're very skinny with a very large head. And so it would be very easy for me to find myself in situations where my very large head actually became a punching bag because I also had a very large mouth, but did not, in fact, have the body to back that up. And so I was always much more bold when I had a big friend, right? When I had that friend beside me who I knew could handle business, if my mouth wrote a check that my tiny little body and giant head could not cash. And so there's a certain level of comfort and fearlessness that comes when you know that you have someone of great power in your corner. And that's what Jesus is teaching to this audience around him now, and that's what he's telling us as well. That if you've put your faith in me, it doesn't matter what your weaknesses are. It doesn't matter how broken or far off you feel. You are my friends. And because of that, you have nothing to fear. Because he continues on. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. Now, those sound like the perfect people to fear. The people that kill your body, those are the people that growing up you teach people to fear because that seems like the scariest thing possible. And so now Jesus is saying these people that have this power to take your life and take things from you, you don't have anything to fear because after they do that, they have nothing more that they can do to you. And he's reminding the audience gathered around him today that it's not just about the temporary things, but that the kingdom of God is an eternal kingdom. And then when you have this friendship with Christ, not only does it give you victory over fear right here and right now, but as we learned yesterday, because of the death and resurrection of Christ, we don't have to fear death. Because we have a promise that those who die in Christ are absent from the body but present with the Lord. 
that those who trust in Christ and believe in God won't perish but will have everlasting life. We have the promise and revelation that one day Christ is going to return and make all things right and all things new, just like we sang in a song just a few minutes ago. And so Jesus says, don't worry about these people that can kill your body because after that, they are out of ammunition. N.T. Wright calls death the tyrant's last weapon. And he says in the resurrection, Jesus took that last and final weapon out of the hands of the tyrant. And that because of that, there is no reason for God's people to fear. Because even if this world has the power to kill us, it doesn't have the power to take us out of the hands of God. With a friend stronger than death, we have absolutely no reason to fear. And so we have a responsibility to hold fast to our identity as friends of God, as friends of the King of kings and Lord of lords, and allow the knowledge of that friendship and all of the hopes and all the benefits that come with that to cast out the fear in our lives. And when we find ourselves in moments of fear and uncertainty, not knowing how we're going to follow Jesus where he leads, or not knowing how we're going to do the things that Christ has called us to do, or feeling overwhelmed by life in general, we can remember that we have a friend in the highest of places. That we have a friend who's not taken by surprise when life gets difficult. We have a friend who has suffered in every way that we have, who's been tempted in every way that we have, and yet he earned victory over that, and he gives us that victory as well. And so because of that, the friendship of Christ can drive out our fear. Jesus also teaches us here that not only is fear cast out by friendship, but fear is also cast out by fear. Fear is cast out by fear itself. In the book of Daniel, we see incredible stories of people of God triumphing over incredibly hard circumstances. And one of the most well-known stories, maybe in all of Scripture, is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as the story goes, the king created an idol for himself and everyone was supposed to bow down to this idol at the exact same time. And when the music played and all the other people bowed down, these three men stood strong. And they knew what the punishment was going to be. They knew what the cost was going to be and the cost was great. But as the king lit the furnace and prepared to throw these men in, they said, listen, we're not afraid. You can throw us in this fire, and God is powerful enough to deliver us from this fire, but even if he chooses to let us die in the fire, he is still good. And in that amazing moment of fearlessness, these three men were making a declaration. They were saying to the king of, at the time, the greatest nation in the world, they were saying, we are not afraid of you. Because this is a scary thing, and this is a harsh thing that's about to happen to us, but we would rather stand fearlessly before you right now and die than one day stand before the God of heaven and earth and know that we've been unfaithful. So they said, with all due respect, King, and recognizing your power, your power is nothing compared to our God. And so how could we fear you more than we fear God? In verse 5, What Jesus says here is incredibly harsh sounding, and it it kind of is. He says, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Jesus tells his audience here, if you're going to fear someone, 
If you're going to be struck by fear because of someone, then it needs to be someone who is actually worthy of fear. And he's reminding us here of the temporary versus eternal tension in the kingdom of God. The same thing that he confronted Peter about right before he went off to his death, saying you're thinking about things that are temporary when you need to be thinking about things that are eternal. You need to see things in the big picture. And so Jesus says, yes, of course it's scary when people threaten to take your life and when you have these people in power who can kill you, that is scary. But when you put it in comparison to the God who not only has the power to kill the body but to cast into hell, one of those things seems strikingly more fearful than the other. But to understand this, we need to have a real understanding of who God is. And good theology or good understanding about who God is should develop within us a deep love for God as we recognize God's mercy and grace and kindness and goodness. But we're also taught in Scripture that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That the very foundation of who we are should start with the recollection and the realization that God is big and I am not. That God is all-powerful and I am not. That God has the power to do anything he desires at any point in time. And no one else that's ever lived has ever had that power. And so if I'm going to respect and honor and even fear someone, it needs to be him. Jesus says, if there is this God that has this kind of power, yeah, he is exactly the person that should be worthy of fear. We see all through the New Testament and all through Scripture as a whole, that our lives should be primarily moved by grace. The Bible says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That it's His faithfulness and His graciousness that moves us to do what we're called to do. But sometimes, we do need things snapped back into perspective a little bit. Sometimes, when we're confronted by big fears that seek to stop our worship and service of God, we need to remember not only that God is bigger than our fears, but He's to be feared more than any enemy. That He has power over any enemy, and what God can do is far greater and far more fearful than what anybody else can do against us. And so in the same way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and later Daniel, as he faced the lion's den, were able to say, you know what? I understand, King, that you have power, but I fear God more than I fear you. Sometimes that needs to be our driving motivation, saying no matter what comes against me, I fear God more than I fear man, because what can man do to me compared to what God can? And so certainly fear is cast out by friendship, but also fear is cast out by fear itself. And then Jesus teaches us that fear is cast out by love. Fear is cast out by friendship. It's cast out by fear. And fear is cast out by love. And I love how quickly Jesus transitions through these things. Through this idea that that we are friends of God, but then jumps into this this deep and serious and harsh sounding thing in verse 5. And then immediately transitions into verse 6. Because he reminds us that the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God, is something that is good and it is sweet and it is beautiful, but it's also something to be taken seriously. And we have to recognize that we have a God who is good and merciful, but a God who is also a God of justice. And a God who is one day going to see the powers of hell and sin and all the things that that's accomplished driven out of his world. But Jesus also reminds us here that we serve a God of great love. 
we have a tendency to value things that we love and to love things of great value. And God does the same. In verse 6, Jesus says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten by God. This, by the way, seems like a great deal on sparrows. I don't know what sparrows tend to go for, but six, what was it, five sparrows for one penny? How many did they go? Five sparrows for two pennies. That is a really great deal. And I know that Clark Howard says that just because something is on sale, that doesn't make it a great deal. And just because you can't afford something doesn't mean you should afford something. But I'm just going to tell you, if I walked through a market and there were five sparrows on sale for two pennies, I would be coming home with ten sparrows. I don't know what I'd do with them once I got home, but I would have some sparrows. But so seemingly here in, in this world, Jesus is saying that these sparrows, these birds, have very little value. They can be bought for almost nothing. And yet he says that not one of them is forgotten by God. Not one. And what we see in Scripture is that we have a God who loves his creation down to the smallest and most seemingly insignificant part. Even the sparrows that are worth barely a fraction of a coin are so valuable to God that he doesn't forget a single one of them. And then in verse 7, which I find to be a very insensitive verse. It says, Why, even the hairs on your head are all numbered, which feels just like a joke at my expense. Fear not, for you are more valuable than many sparrows. Jesus says, if God knows and doesn't forget even the sparrows that have seemingly no significance or value to anyone else in this world but God, if he loves them that much, if he cares for the birds that deeply, imagine how much more he loves you. Because in Genesis chapter 1, in that song of creation, as we see this beautiful description of God creating the heavens and the earth, on day 6, on the pinnacle of God's creation, that's when he created humanity. And we're told that in the image of God, he created us, that we were made to be image bearers of God. And because of that, we have deep, meaningful value. It wasn't until humanity was brought into the world that God looked at all that he had made and he declared it to be very good or finished. God knows the intimate details about who we are down to the numbers of hairs on our head. That's how deeply God knows you and how deeply God loves you. You see, God values you because he loves you. And because he loves you, you have value. And because of that, we have the ability to follow his calling fearlessly. Jesus is telling us here that we are loved by God. And so because of that, he says, fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. You can't fathom or understand or begin to grasp how deeply and passionately God loves you. And so if God doesn't forget the birds of the air, then God is certainly not going to forget you. And as we're going to see Jesus teach in just a couple weeks, if Jesus clothes the flowers of the field and if he cares for the birds of the air, how much more is he going to care for you, especially while you're going out and doing the work that he's called you to do? And so because of that, you can follow God without fear, knowing that he remembers you even in the times when you feel forgotten and he cares for you even at the times when you feel you are at the most lowest place. If you are in Christ, you are loved by God as his children, as sons and daughters of God, and nothing can ever change that and nothing can ever take that away. 
Jesus says that he holds all that the Father gives him in his hands and no one can snatch them away. No one can take you out of the love of God. No one can take away your friendship with Christ. And so because of that, we have this hope and we have this promise that if he loves us now, that he will fulfill his love for us on the day of Christ Jesus. And because of that, we have nothing to fear. And so our fear is cast out by friendship. It's cast out by the fear of God and it's cast out by the love of God. So what does this look like in practice? When I read this passage, I immediately went to a story about a man named Polycarp who lived just one generation after the apostles of Jesus. And Polycarp lived during a time of persecution, but he lived to a very old age. But when Polycarp was deep in his 80s, he fell victim to that widespread persecution of Christians. And he was arrested and he was being brought to trial. But because he was old and because he was frail, the soldiers had pity on him. And they said, listen, buddy, you're old. We want you just to be able to go and die in peace. And so even if you don't mean it, okay, just tell us that you don't believe in Christ. Just recant your testimony about Jesus and we'll let you go. But Polycarp looked in the face of his oppressors. And he says, 80 and six years, my God has never injured me. Eighty and six years, my God has never let me down. And so why would I turn my back on him now? And so he goes and he stands trial and he continues to confess Christ as his Savior and Lord. And the punishment for Polycarp is that he's going to be burned on a stake. And so they go and they're going to attach him to the post. But he looks again at his oppressors and with that same boldness and fearlessness, he looks at these men and he says, listen, my God, who has the power to deliver me from the fire, can give me the strength to stand on the pile without your nails. And so Polycarp lived his life in boldness for God, and then he faced death with fearlessness, knowing that even though these people had the power to kill his body, that Christ has the power to give him eternal life. In verses 11 through 12, Jesus is teaching these people who are listening to have that same kind of fearlessness. He says, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you're going to say. Now the reality is that, that you and I may never face or experience the fullness of what the apostles and the disciples of Jesus experienced in this passage, and what Polycarp experienced thousands of years ago, and what Christians in other parts of the world experience on a daily basis. But for all of us, there are times when fear attacks our boldness. There are times when fear of circumstances, or fear of discomfort, or fear of the people around us, or even just fear of insecurity and shame that comes through our own sin, when we will be confronted with the times when we either have to cower back or push forward. But, if you are in Christ, you belong to a kingdom void of fear. You belong to a victorious king who casts out fear by friendship, who casts out fear by fear, who casts out fear by love. And because of that, we have the ability to put boldness into practice and to continue believing our hope until it becomes a reality. 
Because not only do we know that God loves us, but we have this promise that God will be with us and will be for us in the times when we need him most. Just like during our prayers of the people time today, we had this promise that when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit will intercede on our behalf and pray for us when we don't know the right things to say. God is promising us that if you follow me, if you take the steps and follow everywhere that I lead, even when you find yourself in situations that are overwhelming and overbearing, I will be with you and I will be working for you and through you. And so in those moments, even when you feel completely out of control and like you have nothing that you can bring to the table, I will speak for you. I will act for you and I will be with you. And so the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, what are we afraid of? What is there to fear with a God like this? And so it's our calling, both as individuals and as a church, to go out and boldly proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. To boldly step where Jesus steps and follow where Jesus leads and imitate Christ in everything that we do, knowing that no matter what comes or no matter what happens, that Christ is with us and for us, that we are friends of Jesus and he loves us with an unflinching love, and that even if this world costs us our life, it can't take away the eternity that we have promised in Jesus. And so let's learn now to be people who live without fear, boldly following Christ everywhere that he leads. Let's pray.